everyone. Welcome back to JCM Prepare the Way. My name is Carol, and I just want to thank you for tuning back into our series, Israel's Anointing. We are so glad you're here. Today is episode nine, Understanding God's Promise. Why is Israel special? Well, I first of all want to open this episode just by taking a moment to thank all of our patrons to our podcast. We so appreciate you and just want to thank you so much for your support. Because as you, most of you know, we are a group of volunteers who want to just bring the word of God to people. So any support we can get, we are just so grateful. And if that's something you'd like to do and become a patron of our podcast, um, please visit the link that will be embedded in this episode description. And for those of you who are tuning into this series, um, many of you have expressed that it's been really helpful. And that is always our goal. So that makes us happy. Uh, So if you would consider giving us a rating, we would really appreciate that because then it helps our podcast further its reach. Well, we only have a few episodes left, counting today. And so in our remaining time together, our aim is to bring all of this together and tie a nice little bow on it and bring a lot of clarity and focus on how God is working his family story out for his glory in Israel and the Middle East. And it doesn't matter really how we think things should play out over there, but what matters is what God's word says and that he gets the glory. Well, to begin, I want to say that I'm not attempting to kill any sacred cows here at the opening, but it bears mentioning that many Christians today, we miss the fact that our spiritual heritage is found in biblical Judaism. And the need for us to understand that is very important because when we do, we can better understand Israel and the anointing that God has placed on that land and the Jewish people from whom our Messiah came. The fathers of our faith, my friends, are not Greek, nor are they Roman, but they are Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, among others, ultimately leading to a Jewish man named Yeshua, a Hebrew name that means salvation. Therefore, the basis of Christian faith, our Christian faith, is found in Israel. In fact, if you really paid close attention and notice, every doctrine and practice of Christianity actually has its origins in Judaism, not Greek philosophy. Take baptism, for example. It is taken from the ancient practice of mikvah, which means immerse. What John the Baptist did was not a new practice. He only gave it a more significant meaning. Jews were already very familiar with immersion in water because a Jewish man was immersed at every instant of a new beginning or new birth in his life. For example, before he is circumcised, his father immerses him. Or on the day of his bar mitzvah, before going to the Torah for the first time, he is immersed, or before his wedding, he is immersed, or before he is anointed and receives his ordination as a rabbi, he again enters into the ritual bath of the mikvah. And a woman, well, she did so every month, as her body is made new after her monthly cycle. So baptism, which also means to immerse, is not just a sign of new beginnings for Christians, but it had already been a sign of new beginnings to the Jewish people. Communion is another one. It was instituted after Jesus Christ told his disciples that what he was doing on that Passover night, 
should always be remembered as being fulfilled in him. What did he mean? Well, he was the Passover lamb of Exodus 12. He was the fulfillment of the Passover feast of Leviticus 23. The words he spoke, as often as you do this, remember me, right, was an indication of the prophetic implication of this particular feast in the Torah. His Jewish disciples would have readily understood that after the fact. In fact, every annual feast of the Lord given in Leviticus 23 is a sign of the Messiah, and especially the fall feasts, which are rehearsals of his return. Even the wedding ceremony practiced in evangelical churches around the world resembles a Jewish wedding. In fact, the very institution of of a monogamous marriage or monogamy has its foundation in ancient Judaism. Monogamy doesn't come from other nations who are pagan. They didn't believe in that. It came from ancient Judaism. And these are just a few examples. But I bring this up because when it comes to Israel and God choosing this people over the rest of the nations to be his, quote, firstborn, as stated in Exodus 4.22, some of us may have some feelings that are a lot like maybe sibling rivalry as if one child got a better treat than the other. Some of us might be even asking ourselves, what makes Israel so special? Why were they given a special place, a special promise? Why did God give them the promised land and not someone else? Missing the very fact that we should be thankful to God that he chose them because through them came the Savior of the world. You know, Since the war in Israel began, it's done something very interesting. It's exposed not only a tension within the body of Christ on this subject, but our own lack of biblical understanding on God's heart for that area of the world. And for some of us even, it's exposed a bigotry towards Israel and the Jewish people that's been hidden up until this point. And so we really need to try to understand this better. Because what we find in the Bible is that the God of the entire universe makes a special friend called Abraham. God calls Abraham his friend. That's in James 2. And this is a scandal to many people. They cannot cope with a God who makes personal friends. But that's what happened. And his friend Abraham was a man who exercised great faith throughout his life. And God chose this man to bring forth a covenant promise that would come through his descendants to bless the entire world, all of humanity. And when it comes to Isaac, Abraham's son, God's promise to Abraham came to pass. Sarah conceived and bore this miracle child when Ishmael was around 14 years old, naming him Isaac. We know less about Isaac than we do his father Abraham or even Isaac's son Jacob, but either way, he is a vital link between them because he too carried on in the faith of his father and faith is key to God. Abraham's faith was so great that he was even prepared to offer Isaac this son of promise that he waited so long for on an altar at God's request. And Isaac, he yielded to becoming this sacrifice. So we may know less about him, but what we do see with him is great faith. 
And what we also see is that by offering himself in such a way, unknowingly provided for us, a picture, a shadow of Jesus in the Old Testament. What do I mean? Isaac as a sacrifice was a prophetic picture of something greater that was to come through this promise given to Abraham, which is Jesus himself yielding to his own father one day in the same place as Isaac to become the ultimate sacrifice for mankind. Now, like Abraham, Isaac was a man of faith. He accepted, for example, God's choice for a wife from Abraham's kin in Ur, in Iraq. Her name was Rebekah, and God blessed Rebekah. In fact, he called her the mother of thousands and ten thousands, and that her descendants, which is interesting, would possess the gates of those who hate them. Genesis twenty four sixty. Who else said something similar like that? Jesus. We, being those descendants through Christ Jesus, are told by Jesus himself that the gates of hell will not prevail against those who believe, those who have faith in him. I'm paraphrasing Matthew 16, 18. So Isaac showed great faith. He also showed great faith by obeying God when God told him to stay in Canaan when a famine struck. He didn't want him to go down to Egypt to survive, but to trust him right where he had him. Genesis 26, 1 through 5. Well, Isaac and his wife, Rebekah, they had twins, Jacob and Esau, which made for a very difficult pregnancy for her, so much so that Rebekah got to a point where she inquired of the Lord as to what was going on in the womb. And the Lord told her in Genesis 25, 23, that two nations were in her womb, two peoples, people groups. However, one would be stronger than the other, and the older would serve the younger. Well, that proved true. Esau was born first and Jacob right after, and Esau, as we mentioned in the last episode, established the nation of Edom in southern Jordan. And no matter how much Edom fought against Jacob and his descendants, they could never prevail. Which brings up one more example of Isaac's faith. When he blessed his son Jacob, with the blessing he had received from Abraham, leaving him the land inheritance promised them, even though he did not possess it yet, only in promise. And that takes quite a bit of faith to promise your children something after your death that's not even yours yet, right? Well, Jacob, he is probably the most colorful of the three patriarchs. His name, after all, means supplanter. He was a bit of a schemer. For example, he tricked his brother Esau into selling him his inheritance as firstborn for a bowl of stew when his brother was famished after working one day. He also tricked his father into believing he was Esau so that he could receive Isaac's blessing as firstborn before he died, rather than his brother. He also ended up with two sisters as his wives from his relatives in Iraq, and left his father-in-law's land with his growing family in not-so-friendly terms. And then, of course, as we know, he was at odds with his brother Esau. But perhaps the most incredible history we have on Jacob is in his personal encounter with God when God changed his name. And that's found in Genesis 32, when Jacob found himself wrestling through the night with this angel of God, And even though God could have easily defended Jacob, he didn't. 
But God, Jacob would prevail. He would not let go of the wrestling until he would receive a blessing from God himself. And so following a night-long struggle, where God even had to dislocate Jacob's hip, he gave Jacob the blessing he asked for and also gave him a new name, the name Israel, which can mean prince with God or even contend with God. So Jacob, the corrupt schemer, now became Israel, this limping prince, so to speak. And when you read your Bible, especially the prophets, you might notice how sometimes the prophets will use the name Jacob and Israel interchangeably. And many believe they do that to make the point that when they use Jacob's name, it's referencing how the people have gone backwards to being schemers again, usurpers again, deceivers again, how they were, how Jacob was before he wrestled with God, as opposed to Israel, a prince with God, a people who contended with God and prevailed. And most of the times that they do that is when they are giving the prophetic scriptures for their future, speaking of a time of deliverance and restoration to both Jacob and Israel. Well, Isaac went on, like I said, to have Jacob, and Jacob had 12 sons, and these 12 sons would make up the nations and tribes of Israel one day. And throughout the Old Testament, they would encounter over and over and over again their brethren, who were now scattered throughout the Middle East, whom God would use in more ways than one to help preserve that seed of promise that was to come through Christ. And we'll talk about that in a different episode. You see, God didn't choose Israel, my friends, because they were special. They became special because he chose them. Just like us. We were nothing apart from Christ. But in Christ, we are now made special to God. Grafted into his family and family story. This is why both Jews and Christians will be the ones who will be persecuted as this age draws to a close. Not from anything we've done per se, according to Matthew 5, but just because of who we are, chosen by God to be part of his family through his son, Jesus Christ, a Jew. Choosing Israel was God's sovereign choice. The three patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they had no natural claim on God. He freely initiated the relationship with them, didn't he? They could not claim that the relationship was due to them. And it's striking to me in the Bible how in each generation, how the typical rights of inheritance are overturned. The oldest son would normally inherit the family wealth from the father, but in each generation here, God chooses not the oldest, but the youngest son. He chooses Isaac, not Ishmael, and Jacob, not Esau. It appears that God is thus establishing that no one has a natural claim on his love. It is just his love to give as he chooses. It was not, therefore, a question of straight hereditary link through the eldest son that God made his choices, since neither Isaac nor Jacob were the firstborn. Don't miss this point. What they inherited was a free gift. Sound familiar? On top of that, none of these three men had a moral claim on God either. 
for they could not claim to be better than anybody else. In fact, the Bible shows how these men would lie to get out of tricky situations. So being a good person wasn't enough either. The only thing they had which did mark them out was faith. Faith. These men believed God, and God can do wonders with the person who believes in him. To close, one thing to point out about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they all, each of them, left his son what he didn't possess. Abraham said to Isaac that he was leaving to him the whole land around them, right? Isaac said the same thing to his son Jacob. And Jacob said to his 12 boys, sons, I'm leaving the whole land to you in my will, so to speak. And not one of them possessed any of it, except one cave that Abraham purchased in Hebron, the family vault that's still there today where they are all buried. Isn't that something? What faith to write a whole will about land to leave to your offspring when you don't even possess it. But here's the thing. They believed that God had given it to them and that one day that whole land would be theirs. And that's the faith we hold on to. We do the same thing as Christians. A promised land awaits us, a new Jerusalem even. Regardless of how you view the scriptures, there is coming a place where our Lord Jesus is going to physically rule and reign from, and we get to be part of it even if we can't see it yet. Well, when we read about these men, much later in the Bible, in Hebrews chapter 11, it says all these people, they were still living by faith when they died. They didn't just believe for a day or two. When they died, they were still believing because they never saw the promise fulfilled. And it says in that chapter, they were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised to them. It says God had planned something better for us. That only together with us would they be made perfect. You see, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they're not dead. We can see the tombs of their bodies in Hebron, yes, but they're not dead. Their faith made them righteous. And Jesus said that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not was, but is. And Jesus also says, I and my Father are one. Believe that the Father is in me and I in him, John 10. And so even in the story of the rich man and the poor beggar Lazarus, when they died, Lazarus was taken where? To Abraham's bosom. And the rich man begged Father Abraham to have mercy on him. See, what we need to realize is that we're in this together with those whose faith was accounted to them as righteousness. We are in this together with the Jewish people. All those people listed in Hebrews 11 were Jewish people. And that might sound odd to some of you until you experience firsthand ministering to a Jewish person or worshiping with the Jewish believer. I'm telling you, there is a supernatural pull, a supernatural connection between us that feels like family. The God of Israel is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he is the God who is our father who art in heaven, right? Our spirit cries out, Abba, 
father, Paul says. Our roots are Hebraic, not Greek, not Roman. Our father is not the God of dead people. He is the God of the living, and that's who we worship. That's why when we were able to pray with Jews in Israel at the outbreak of war, knowing that they could not yet understand or see Jesus, we prayed in a way that was familiar to them, to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And guess what? The Holy Spirit touched them. You could visibly see our Lord move upon them with his love because Jesus and his Father are one. And they're after one thing, restoration to the covenant that they could not keep before in their own strength. They want their people restored to covenant. And that word covenant, we all say it's a new covenant in Christ. That's an incorrect translation. It's a renewed covenant covenant in Jesus Christ, whose mediator is now their brother, Yeshua, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. We have to get this. And so we do this together with them, with the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, with the Jewish people, so that one day, according to Hebrews 11, they are made perfect with us. I hope that blessed you today. Thank you again to all of our patrons for your support. Thank you, all of you, for tuning in. And don't forget, if you would like to become a patron, just click on the link on the description of this episode. Until our next time, God bless you today and take care.